Hi, and welcome to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message, where we study scripture together verse by verse. Let's jump in now for this week's message. The Israelites chased them as far as the greater Sidon and Mesrephoth Maim, and eastward into the valley of Mizpah, until not one enemy warrior was left alive. Then Joshua crippled the horses and burned all the chariots as the Lord had instructed. I'm going to skip down in the text a little bit to verse 16. So Joshua conquered the entire region, the hill country, the entire Negev, the whole area around the town of Goshen. Negev is actually way down here. But his point is, is that Joshua conquered all the land that God had promised to give him. The hill country, the entire Negev, the whole area around the town of Goshen, the western hills, the Jordan Valley, the mountains of Israel, and the Galilean foothills. The Israelite uh, territory now extended all the way down, all the way from Mount Halak, which leads up to the Seir in the south, as far as the as far as Balgad at the foot of Mount Hermon in the valley of Lebanon. Um, Mount Hermon may be on there. Yeah, this is Mount Hermon up here. So you're seeing he's laying out some borders for what's, what's happening. Uh, in the Valley of Lebanon, Joshua killed all of the kings of this territory, waging war for a long time to accomplish this. So we see Joshua tells us the highlights of the stories and the battles, but then there's other things that happen uh, between. So we don't have you know, the play-by-play of every single battle. Verse 19, no one in this region... No one in this region, in all this area that I just pointed out on the map, no one in this region made peace with the Israelites except the Hivites of Gibeon. Now, uh, I didn't cover this story. The Hivites, they tricked Israel into making a treaty. And that's why they have peace with the Israelites. All the others were defeated for the Lord hardened their hearts and caused them to fight the Israelites. So they were completely destroyed without mercy as the Lord had commanded Moses. So Joshua carefully obeyed the instructions that the Lord had given Moses. And Moses had passed those instructions along to Joshua. Joshua followed the instructions and it all happened just as the Lord had said it would. It happened just as the Lord said it would. Do you believe that? Why is it that we have such a difficult time living in this axiom of trust and obey and you'll be blessed? Trust and obey and you'll be blessed. There was a, whenever I was a kid, does anybody remember the hymn, Trust and Obey, for no other way to me in Jesus? I got up this morning singing, It's Beginning to Rain. Does anybody know that chorus? I wake up with songs in my head. Trust and obey and you'll be blessed. Well, Brent, we have to counteract the prosperity movement. No, we don't have to counteract the prosperity movement. We have to read the Bible and live it. That's what you need to do. Don't worry about everybody else's business. We follow Jesus. That's actually in my notes here. I'm back. We follow Jesus faithfully. We follow Jesus faithfully right up to the point that we stop believing that God is in charge. And we start believing that we have a better way. I very impromptu last week, I don't remember if it was first service or second service, so I'm gonna tell it again. I impromptuly thought about God, he gathers up some dirt, she, he blows some life into it, and then the dirt goes, I have a better idea, God. Oh, that's, that's exactly what we do. That is the picture. 
We follow God right up until we stop believing that he knows what he's doing and that I have a better way. And then we stop following God. We do our soap. If you don't know what soap is, talk to the people at the information desk. And we read about forgiving those who offend us. Oh, Brent, why didn't you just leave it vague? At that point, we reason that God didn't anticipate how difficult my friends are gonna be or the people that I go to church with or the pastor that preaches at our church. We are forgiving unless somebody really offends us. Then it's like, nope, nope, nope. There's an exception here. We justify our not following God. We love our neighbors as ourselves unless we don't like the way they painted their house because some people paint their house funky colors and boy, that's just not right. Don't love them. We don't like the way they mowed their lawn. We don't like the way they looked at us when we drove by. You get the point. We love our neighbors until we don't like them and then we don't love them anymore. We follow. <laughs> sometimes I really abuse myself. I mean, I always amuse myself, but sometimes it's really amused myself. We follow and the Lord goes before us. We follow and the Lord goes before us. That is profound, right? There's an order. We follow and the Lord goes before us. It is, when we, it is when we fail to follow him that we tend to get ourselves into trouble, right? We if we're following him, we'll be behind him. Let the Lord lead and you follow. You treat others with contempt, you'll end up with bad relationships because we justify, well, they did wrong to me, so I'm gonna do wrong to them. And then somehow it's gonna be good because my parents always told us, two negatives don't make a positive, right? You treat others with contempt, you'll end up with bad relationships. You live selfishly, you'll end up miserable. You live a life filled with pride, even you're not gonna like yourself. It's kind of like we say, I'm gonna do it my way. And then when we get to the end, we're like, well, why did God do this to me? Well, because you didn't follow him, genius. Read the instructions. This is not rocket surgery. I wrote it that way. You don't have to correct me later. Brent, you said the saying wrong. I was being funny. <laughs> in the last part of chapter 11, what time are, oh, in the last part of chapter 11, Joshua does something that is very relatable to where you and I tend to live. Joshua chapter 11, verse 21, verse 22. During this period, Joshua destroyed all of the descendants of Anak who lived in the hill country of Hebron, Deber, and Anab, and the entire hill country of Judah and Israel. Did you hear that? During this time, he destroyed all of the descendants of Anak. Uh, he killed them all and completely destroyed their towns. None of the descendants of Anak were left in all the land of Israel, though some still remained in Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod. So he killed, he makes, an, he, make, he spends three or four sentences. No, he doesn't. He spends an entire sentence saying, everybody's killed. Except, well, everybody's dead, except for there's still a few that remain in Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod. A few of the Philistines and Canaanites are left in the outskirts of the land. I don't know if I, I didn't intentionally put it on the map, but it's gonna be this area right here where the Philistines are gonna kind of, they're gonna stay around. A few were not conquered. 
Just a few. It's no big deal. I mean, the armies of Israel has been overcoming five kings and armies at a time, at the least. So, so you know, a few people running around from Anak, no big deal. Way later in the story of Israel, there's going to be a young man named David, and he's going to get into a fight with a giant named Goliath. Do you know where Goliath was from? Gath. Oopsie doozy. (laughs) Joshua's unfinished business is going to come back and cause a problem in Israel. And I point out Goliath just because you're familiar with that story. Fact of the matter is that for the rest of Israel's history, the people that they did not kill, it's going to cause them problems. So Brent, in the analogy, in the illustration, how does that fit into supernatural salvation? Are you saying that unconquered sin will come back and cause us problems? It's a really good question. I'm going to answer it with a question. Did Goliath win? No. Wait, where's he going with this? Did Goliath alter the course of God's plan for Israel in any way? God is still God, whether you fail or you succeed. Remember? Remember when Achan sinned and it's like, oh, this is the end of the world. And God's like, no, no, it's wrong. It has to be dealt with. There is judgment, there's consequences, but I'm still God and we're still going forward. God is still God, whether you fail or whether you succeed, both are capable of tripping you and I up in our spiritual walk. You just tend faithfully to following the Lord before and after you fail. Because we're gonna fail, right? You tend to faithfully following the Lord before and after you fail. We don't fall apart and we don't get too proud. Number three, suspicious division. Suspicious division. Pay close attention here because this is not going where you think it's going to go. In the remainder of the book of Joshua, the land is divided up among the tribes of Israel. Probably familiar with this. The tribes of Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben. Remember those names. Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben. It's Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben is the orange spot. You're noticing that they're on the east side of the Jordan River. Joshua 22 records a story that we don't tell very often, again, because it may not be all that family friendly, right? It doesn't, it doesn't look well for the church, so we avoid these stories. No children's books for this story. Now, going through this, I don't want to draw too, too much of a black and white uh, conclusion, but the story seems to be an indicator of a characteristic that is going to plague the followers of the Lord for all the rest of time on this earth. Joshua chapter 22, you should turn there. Somebody visited our church here recently and they said, I was impressed with how many people have their Bibles open, open during service. Pardon me. I was getting emotional about it. Thank you for opening your Bibles. Thank you for reading your Bibles. Now, if you would just start living them. Okay. I need to temper this because sometimes I get really, really wound up because it's so easy to see the flaw. 
but I want you to know I include myself in the flaw, okay? So I'm not just preaching it. Uh, this morning I was thinking, somebody's gonna say, boy, Brent, you're really throwing stones at us. I'm not throwing stones at us. I'm throwing stones straight up in the air and they're falling squarely on all of us, okay? Joshua 22, verse 10 says, but while they were still in Canaan, and when they came to a place called Gilot, it is with a T, near the Jordan River, the men of Reuben, Gad, Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh stopped to build a large and imposing altar. So they, they're down, uh, well, I don't know exactly where they're coming from, but they're gonna come back across here where they crossed close to Gilead uh, and, and, and Jericho. They're going across this area. Whenever it says they built an altar, they're gonna build an, build an altar like was laid out in the book of Leviticus and I think in Deuteronomy, um, where he gives them the instructions of how to build an altar for the temple, okay? So whenever he says altar, keep that in mind. That's what's going on. So uh, they stop to build. They're about to cross the Jordan River. They stop and build a large and imposing altar. So they make this big deal. The rest of Israel heard that the people of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh had built an altar uh, at, at Gilat at the edge of the land of Canaan on the west side on the west side of the Jordan River. So it's before they've crossed the river. I'm sidetracked with the half tribe of Manasseh. That was the one of the sons of Joseph. Okay. So so it's kind of like, well, they're not really us. They're sons of Joseph. You know, it's Joseph. Joseph's grandson. He got grafted in. He really shouldn't have. He's not like us. He's not full blood like us. We're so spiritual. Verse twelve. So because half-tribe of Manasseh and Gad and Reuben have built this altar. So the whole community of Israel gathered at Shiloh and prepared to go at war against their fellow brethren. Verse 13, first, however, they sent a delegation led by Phineas, son of Eleazar, so they're going to send a delegation. This is wise. The priest to talk with the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Pardon me. In this delegation were 10 leaders of Israel, one from each of the 10 tribes and each of the head of his family within the clan of Israel. When they arrived in the land of Gilead, they said to the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh, the whole community of the Lord demands to know why you are betraying the God of Israel. <laughs> wow. Pretty serious accusation. How could you turn away from the Lord and build an altar for yourselves in rebellion against him? Was our sin at Peor not enough? To this day, we are not fully cleansed of it, even after the plague that struck the entire community of the Lord. And yet today, you are turning away from following the Lord. If you rebel against the Lord today, he will be angry with all of us tomorrow. See, Israel has learned a little lesson. They know that whenever one person messes up, everybody gets judged for it. Verse 19. If you need the altar because the land, because the land you possess is defiled, because it was on the east side of the Jordan River, then join us in the Lord's land. That reminds me of my dad always saying, Texas is God's country. It's not. I've been there. Just thank God for Farmington. Lord, we thank you for Farmington. It's a wonderful place. Don't tell anybody else in the world about, don't tell Texans about Farmington. Yeah, yeah. 
If you need the altar because the land you possess is defiled, then join us in the Lord's land where the tabernacle of the Lord is situated and share our land with us. That's a reasonable solution. But do not rebel against the Lord or against us by building an altar other than the one true altar of the Lord our God. Verse 20. Didn't divine anger fall on the entire community of Israel when Achan, a member of the clan of Zerah, uh, sinned by stealing the things he set apart for the Lord? He was not the only one who died because of his sin. Then the people of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh answered the heads of the clans of Israel. I like this, because there's a little defensiveness in this. I don't think I'm reading between the lines too much. They say, the Lord, the mighty one, is God. And then I think it's probably the Lord, the mighty one is God. They have to get aggressive so that these people listening know that they're serious. He knows the truth. And may Israel know the truth too. We have not built the altar in treacherous rebellion against the Lord. If we have done so, do not spare our lives this day. If we have built an altar for ourselves to turn away from the Lord or to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings or peace offerings, may the Lord himself punish us. The truth is, we have built this altar because we fear that in the future, your descendants will say to our descendants, what right do you have to worship the Lord, the God of Israel? Oops. The Lord has placed the Jordan River as a barrier between our people and you people of Reuben and Gad. You have no claim to the Lord, so your descendants may prevent our descendants from worshiping the Lord. Was their hearts in the wrong spot in building this altar? No, they're looking down the road and they're saying, we know these other Israelites, they're a bunch of crazy people, so we need to do something to make a memorial to remember this. Verse 26, so we decided to build the altar not for burnt offerings or sacrifices, but as a memorial. It will remind our descendants and your descendants that we too have the right to worship the Lord at his sanctuary with our burnt offerings, sacrifices, and peace offerings. Then your descendants will not be able to say to our descendants, you have no claim to the Lord. Because that's, you know, church people wouldn't do that today because we've outgrown this, right? I'll get there in a second. Just hold on to your britches. I don't understand what he's saying. I'll explain it. If they say this, if they say this, our descendants can reply, look at this copy of the Lord's altar that our ancestors made. It is not for burnt offerings or sacrifices. It is a reminder of the relationship both of us have with the Lord. Far be it from us to rebel against the Lord or turn away from him by building our own altar for burnt offerings, grain offerings, or sacrifices. Only the altar of the Lord our God that stands in front of the tabernacle may be used for that purpose. I think that that's interesting that it's an exclusive altar for sacrificing and for worship. 
Verse 30, then Phinehas, the priest and the leaders of the community, the heads of the clan of Israel, heard this from the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and they were satisfied. Phinehas said to uh, Eleazar, the priest, replied to them, today we know the Lord is among us because you have not committed this treachery against the Lord as we thought. Instead, you have rescued Israel from being destroyed by the hand of the Lord. Then Phinehas, uh, son of Eleazar, the priest, and the other leaders, they left the tribes of Reuben and Gad in Gilead and returned to the land of Canaan to tell the Israelites what had happened. And all the Israelites were satisfied and praised God and spoke no more of war against Reuben and Gad. And the people of Reuben and Gad named the altar Witness, for they said, it is a witness between us and them that the Lord is our God too." All these people have, all these people in the story have seen God perform miraculous uh, signs multiple times. These are people who should be united by their experiences and their dedication to their God. People who should be united by their experiences and their dedication to their God. But here, it seems that their dedication is the very thing that causes superstitious, not superstitious, suspicious, I'm not a good reader, suspicious division among them. The people of Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben were not doing anything wrong, but the minute that they did something a little different, not a part of the rest of the group, they were ready to go to war against people of their own nation. We do similar things. I grew up in a denomination. So every denomination, so every other denomination was suspicious. We're not like them. They're probably not going to heaven. I, I really like being a non-denominational church. One church has high ceilings and stained glass. Oh, they must be worshiping idols over there. I know it. Another church sings new songs instead of the old songs. Oh my goodness. The list goes on and on. If you've been around church for very long, you know that you know I speak the truth. Goes on and on of how we divide ourselves over suspicions that end up nonsense. Is division real? Yes. Is there a time to part company from people who call themselves followers of Christ but who are obviously not? Yes. That is why you need to make sure that you know the essentials of Christianity. I'm fixing to make a plug. Hold on. Make sure you know what beliefs unite us and what is not important enough to divide us. Everything in the Bible is important enough to divide us. No, it's not. No, it's not. This is why we have DHC Essentials. First Wednesday night of the month, room 102. Go down there, learn stuff. You'll fight less. That's a good, we could sell that. We should make a commercial. Learn stuff, fight less. Verse 20, uh, Joshua 24 is the last chapter. Last chapter and ends with a period of conquest. This is the last of the period of the conquest of the Israel's, Israelites. Joshua leaves them with uh, his final words of warning before he sends them into the lands. By the way, this is not a word of encouragement. Joshua 24, verse 14, he says, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. That's a good sermon. 
So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols of your ancestors, your ancestors worshiped, when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Okay, keeping up. Serve the Lord alone. Man, there's a whole sermon there. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today. That's an important phrase because we often quote this verse without that first phrase. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors that your, uh, do you prefer the, the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Whenever he says, choose you to this day whom you will serve, he's saying, if you're not gonna serve the Lord, then choose which idiot idol you're gonna serve. Be careful how you quote that, okay? That's, that's my point. Joshua says, make up your mind. Determine in your heart whether you're gonna serve God or whether you're gonna serve one of your idols from your past. That seems like a reasonable challenge from Joshua to you and I today. Watch what happens. The people replied, we would never abandon the Lord and serve other gods. For the Lord our God is the one who rescued us and our ancestors from slavery in the land of Egypt. He performed mighty miracles before our very eyes. And we traveled through the wilderness among our enemies. He preserved us. It was the Lord who drove out the Amorites and the other nations living in the land. So we too will serve the Lord for he alone is God, 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 God. Then Joshua as though he knows what the future holds for Israel. Y'all know the history of Israel, right? Coming up. Then Joshua warned the people, listen carefully, the leader of Israel. Joshua warned the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. We just went through all of this for Joshua to say, you can't do it. We could have stayed in Egypt and solved a lot of problems here. You are not able to serve the Lord for, here's why, he is a holy and jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. I thought that's why we were doing all this. If you abandon the Lord and serve other gods, he will turn against you and destroy you even though he has been so good to you. Joshua, I'm pretty sure his spiritual gift is encouragement. Verse 21, but the people answered, no, we will serve the Lord. You are a witness of our, of, you are a witness to your own decision. Joshua says, you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, they replied. We are witnesses to what we have said. All right, then Joshua said, destroy the idols among you. They have idols with them. The Lord is God. Tuck away your idol of Baal or whatever. Put him in your pocket. Hide it. No, we're going to serve the Lord. Then get rid of your idols. I just got one in my, no, you got one over here too. All right, then Joshua said, destroy the idols among you and turn your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord, our God. We will obey him alone. After Joshua warned them, their declaration is, we will serve the Lord, our God. We will obey him alone. 
As soon as Joshua and these people who are present in this story when this happened, as soon as they die, uh, in Judges chapter two, verse 10, it tells us that the next generation grew up and they did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things that he had done for Israel. One generation, poof, gone. Joshua was right. You okay? Need you to absorb that. Well, Brent, is that still true today? I don't know, have people changed? Just as Israel was not able to conquer I on their own, despite their intimate history with the Lord, they were not able to conquer their own sinfulness and faithfully serve the Lord. But Brent, that just seems really hopeless, doesn't it? I mean, it's, it is hopeless. It is hopeless. Got you right where I want you. We need to get... In the headspace of, we have nothing. You have nothing. But Brent, I've got a good education. I've got a good job. You've got nothing. I'm a powerful person. I have connections. I have, I'm strong still. You got nothing. I go to a great church. You got nothing. Israel failed to serve God every chance God gave them. Wow. So why do we try? Why do we try? What are we good for? Listen to me carefully. And then I'm gonna quit, I really am. Your attempt at victory, your attempt at victory is futile. I'm gonna borrow that from Star Trek, Star Wars, Star something. Your attempt at victory is futile. Your attempt at righteousness, because right, if I go to church, I'll get right. Brent will tell me what I'm supposed to do and I'll do it and then I'll be right and God will be impressed. No, you won't. Your attempt at righteousness is futile. Your attempt at goodness is futile. All you can do, all the only thing you can do in your hopelessness and nothingness, all you can do is love the Lord, obey the Lord, worship the Lord, be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Don't get distracted with your own accomplishments. Don't get distracted with your own failures. How do we know if we're doing well? Because you're following the Lord. You're always doing well, but it looks bad. Doesn't matter. Fix your eyes on Jesus. That's why I read from Hebrews chapter 12 this morning when we first started. What what is your responsibility? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Well, what about those other people? Don't worry about them. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Well, what about all the other powers of this world? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Humbly, selflessly follow after him and then know that he will lead you to his righteousness. He will lead you to his grace. He will lead you to his forgiveness. He will lead you to his supernatural salvation. You've been listening to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message. We would like to invite you to one of our service times at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings here in Farmington, New Mexico. If you'd like more information, please visit our website at desertheightschurch.com.